In Session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Trollokin. I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. The shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, again, our studio number, 310 0555. Let's get to the books of the week. The book of the week for this week uh, is Psych by Paul Bloom. Uh, Paul Bloom has written a few books that I really liked. One of them, Against Empathy, which actually the title of it I didn't like and resisted for a little bit, but once I read it, I, I did like it. And uh, he's written a few other good books that I enjoyed. So when I saw he had written a new one, I, I picked it up and looking forward to reading that. And sharing it with you next week. The book of the week from last week that I'll talk about tonight is The Book of Pride by Mason Funk, The Book of Pride LGBTQ Heroes Who Changed the World. And although it says um, the author is Mason Funk, really this book is a compilation of many interviews that are part of what is called the Outwards Archive, out, O-U-T, words, as in W-O-R-D-S, like the words of the individuals, that uh, is seeking to interview uh, and document the stories of many, or as many as they can, heroes of the LGBTQ movement, especially those who um, could be older in age and might not have a possibility to tell their story again or might lose their stories if we don't get to hear it from their own words. And so in this book, there is 75 different individuals who are profiled um, out of, at this point, he'd already done, I think, 131 interviews. And the videos are also up on the Outwards Archive website where you can see the videos if you'd like in the more extended version because as he notes in the introduction, uh, the books, uh, the interviews had to be shortened in order to fit the book in order to be able to profile as many people as he did. And uh, the the story covers, uh, the stories, I should say, that people share cover a whole range of, of experiences, but there's common themes, including uh, being persecuted, being um, even physically harmed, if not even stories of people that have been killed because of their LGBTQ status, and also stories that revolve around uh, doing the right thing, standing up for yourself and others, and uh, most importantly, courage. Uh, And that was something that was very inspiring for me, seeing all these stories of individuals uh, who really courageously stood up to injustice and what they thought was not okay, uh, especially being made to told that they're somehow either not okay the way they are, even uh, facing laws of being treated as second-class citizens, being kicked out of the military, kicked out of jobs, um, uh, kicked out of families. Uh, there's all of these stories where people have faced tremendous pain, but came through 
uh, with courage and dignity and power. And uh, it was very motivating and inspiring to read their stories. And there's something about hearing people tell their stories as they unfolded, because when we hear about something like the Stonewall Riots um, that happened in 1969, you know, when we hear history, it almost seems inevitable or that, you know, it was bound to happen or it was some kind of path was set and they just followed that path. But when you actually hear the stories and see how things unfolded, you recognize that um, people had to make lots of difficult decisions and, and choices. Things were very unclear and they had to often go into the face of, of danger and the unknown um, with courage and bravery. And it was definitely not determined that it had to turn out the way that it did. So that was something interesting, hearing all these stories of people who uh, created different organizations, who created different publications, and whether they were underground or published, um, whether they were protesting in a variety of ways. Um, there was a, a term that came up a lot, zapping, or is it being to zap an event, was to go and, and protest or create a commotion at an event to create publicity or to uh, do an act of civil disobedience. But you see people doing all of these things in, in a variety of contexts. And when you hear the stories again, or you think about it, you think, oh, well, everything turned out okay. Or, you know, now they're telling the story, they must be okay. But when you see their accounts, you recognize uh, that wasn't necessarily easily known, that it could have been uh, much worse as it was for many people's stories that they share, people who did not make it, who were killed, um, or committed suicide or uh, lost to AIDS and a variety of different um, tragedies that are also throughout the story. So it's a story of triumph and tragedy. What's also striking is how these stories are often not very old. Um, the majority of people that were interviewed were born in the 40s, 50s, some even 30s, some a little later. As I said, one of the goals from what I gathered was to interview people who were getting older in age because you might lose that opportunity to interview them, hear their story. And actually, um, in some of them at the end of the interview, uh, he did share that the individual had since passed since the time of um, doing their interview and publishing the book. And because this book was released a few years ago, sadly, it's possible some of the others have as well, because as I mentioned, they were older in age. Um, but nonetheless, their stories are not ancient history. Uh, these people were either recently alive or still alive, and some of these struggles they're talking about are just a few decades old, uh, of individuals being kicked out of the military, of losing their jobs, of not being allowed to teach, of um, facing discrimination, even you know, people sharing their stories of being discriminated against in school for being gay or lesbian and the teacher is not doing anything about it because it was somehow acceptable or somehow okay. And that wasn't something that they had to do anything about. And so um, seeing that this was not so long ago is a reminder that it's great that we've made this progress and that the progress was made because of the incredible sacrifices and courage of, of these individuals, but that it's not something that uh, is, was easily won or is so far away that we should think, you know, we've, we've come far enough. Uh, even some of the stories were of things like passing marriage equality in the United States, which was with, I think, within the last 10 years or so. So it's not something so old. And seeing how public opinion has changed 
And that's also striking when we think of how people, most people today in the United States, especially the younger generation, if you ask them about issues related to the LGBTQ community or if they should be allowed to get married, it seems for them very acceptable and almost not worth asking. But in my lifetime, I've seen that public opinion shift in the United States where it went from something very unpopular to something popular and in younger generations overwhelmingly popular and accepted. So it's also a reminder of the the power of actions and of big actions, but also small actions or what might seem like small actions, but seeing them accumulate to become something uh, quite meaningful and powerful and impactful. Most of the individuals in the book were themselves members of the LGBTQ community. There were a few stories of individuals who were not, but who were allies and advocated and did important things in support of the LGBTQ community. For example, they shared the story of uh, a Mormon family, father, mother, and their son who came out as gay, and then because of the reaction of their church, what they did in response to that and how they uh, accepted their, their son and were not willing to accept that something was wrong with him and that he was okay the way that he was. And so that's a theme that you see a lot, this sense of acceptance and seeing that all people, whatever the diversity of their experiences and who they are, as much as it might be something you don't know about, it's very real and they deserve to be loved and accepted just like anyone else. Uh, One of the individuals shared a statistic that for me was quite powerful that came out, I think, in 2014 that showed that in in law uh, states where they passed same-sex marriage laws, we saw a decrease in suicide amongst LGBTQ youth. And as he said, it's not that these people were trying to get married. They were teenagers. It was that they were now given the message that they were accepted and part of society, whereas before they were not given that message and did not feel that they were uh, welcomed and fully accepted in society. And so that also, uh, seeing that statistic again, is always very powerful for me to remember that these things matter, not just in uh, small or even important ways, but literally life and death ways that, um, you know, people are being told that they are not accepted or acceptable or that they're not wanted. And of course, that's going to contribute to them thinking that they shouldn't even continue living. And so um, that is heartbreaking and a reminder of why this is so important. And even, you know, posting this book, most people give a a good reaction to it. But I know for some people, hearing about Pride or Pride Month brings up a lot of feelings for them. Still, to me, there's a lot of work to be done because not everyone thinks this should be given the type of attention that it is given or that people should be, you know, even calling it pride or being prideful of this. But as the stories in the book show in just not so recent history, and it's still happening, um, people are being treated as less than. There's still physical violence happening towards people of the LGBTQ community that's higher than rates to other people, especially transgender individuals. So I know sometimes people say, well, transgender population is a small part of the population, let's say percentage-wise, which might be true, but if a group is being persecuted and treated much more poorly than everyone else, um, 
we should really take note of that. We shouldn't just say, well, it's not that much of the population. They are being really heavily mistreated and their homicide rates are still higher. And so we need to pay attention to that. Uh, so I was just, you know, going through these different stories. Each one had a, a different flavor to it, of course, because it's a different individual. Um, I knew some of them, a few of them, but most of them were new to me, these individuals who have actually contributed significantly to the LGBTQ movement. So I, I appreciated that. And so um, I do recommend the book in that sense of really learning about more about the movement because you see all the people that did what, again, might be considered big or small things, um, but that made a big impact over time. And the themes of the history become more clear of this discrimination, but this coming together that they had to come together. And also stories of even within the community, not always um, being on the same page and being unified. So, for example, uh, the you know there was a few people that talked about being bisexual and how early on in the movement, some people said, well, in a way, pick a side or either you have to be gay or lesbian or straight, but you can't be bisexual. I've still heard this question before um, recently, things like, is bisexuality real? And it definitely is, and we see that the human sexual experience is much more on a spectrum than some kind of black or white categories. And so you, but you see these people sharing their stories that even within uh, the community at times being either rejected or left out or women of color, for example, um, being left out of, let's say, lesbian movements or feminist movements. Um, these things we also see. So it's a reminder that these stories and history is complex. Social movements are complex and all the people in a social movement are not going to think the same and, and feel the same. Um, and at times that could lead to challenges, but it also can uh, remind us that we at times have to put aside even those minor differences or what might not feel like minor differences to come together to make something happen, to move forward with things. Um, I felt this with what's happening in Iran where people, uh, we have to focus on being unified because people might have different perspectives and different opinions of what's happening now, of what they want to see happen. Not everyone's going to want exactly the same things in exactly the same ways. That's not possible. But there can be some things we're unified against or unified for that will allow us to, to work together. So uh, hearing those intricacies of, of the LGBTQ movement um, was quite fascinating. Of course, it continues to this day. And so many of these people, their biggest contributions were from a while ago, but many up into the present day. And there are individuals who are continuing the movement. And as I mentioned, some of the members um, in the book were not of the LGBTQ community, but we can all advocate for um, the rights of others. We should all be doing that. And so um, trans rights are human rights and LGBTQ rights are human rights. And I hope we can all be in favor of supporting the LGBTQ community. Of course, during Pride Month, we might highlight it even more, but always and throughout the year, uh, making sure we do that. So again, the book was The Book of Pride, LGBTQ Heroes Who Changed the World, and the Archives um, and the Outwards Project has been created by Mason Funk. Pride, All right, let's go to a commercial break. Shared the stories we'll of right 75 back. individuals who made an impact in the LGBTQ movement. And um, I was very inspired, as I mentioned, by the, the different stories. And, it, you know, it served as a inspiration, motivation, reminder of how important it is to to do the right thing and to 
Never forget that big movements have happened by small steps or what might in the moment seem like small steps or many actions coming together to create a significant movement. Because as I mentioned, I'd, um, you know, some of it, of course, is from my own ignorance, but I only knew several of the members that were, their story, stories were shared. And so I didn't know um, many of them who had done some very important things. And on top of that, those individuals each often were sharing about other people that they collaborated with, uh, some named and many unnamed that they created an organization or a group. At times, actually, you would see someone mentioning someone else who was also in the book, and the author would uh, put a little author's note there so you could see, uh, make that connection. Um, but we, we see that there was thousands upon thousands of people, maybe even when you uh, look at everyone who voted in a variety of elections, millions of people. And this book only um, was looking at stories in the United States. And so we see that millions of people had to um, do something, do the right thing for these things to happen, for change to happen. And so that's a reminder to never be discouraged by how small the step is that you can take or you are taking in doing the right thing or in helping um, someone or some group or your own group to make progress. That change does happen slowly, but it's incredibly meaningful. And we all are just adding our contribution to that that finished project. Um, and so, uh, you know, we hear these stories of something that happened, of, oh, this was so bad and now it's better. Uh, and as I mentioned, it, it still doesn't mean the work is done in the, uh, the LGBTQ community and promoting their rights. Um, and reducing the stigma, which still exists, uh, even in the United States, especially in other countries around the world, even more. Um, but whatever it is that we are also facing today, to not lose sight of the different injustices that are there, and what is your part in that? And this um, points to a, a discussion I've had a few times since the, um, you know, since September of last year when. We saw uh, a movement beginning in Iran and a reminder to all of us to not be so focused or dissuaded by a lack of results or focusing on the results, but instead focusing more on what is each of our responsibility. What can I do? Um, and really, I'm, I'm feeling that even more because I know uh, I've actually talked to a few people to have them as guests on the show to get updates on and inform me and, and the listeners about what's been going on in Iran. And I know um, it's been, what, maybe nine months. And, of course, things are going on for 44 years. But nine months since things have, have started. And I think for a lot of people, it could feel like, well, what's the point anymore? What, what should I, should I even pay attention to it anymore or do anything about it? And so this conversation of results versus responsibility, I think, becomes even more relevant, or this is why I was even having it back then, because it did seem like if there's going to be any meaningful change, uh, it's going to take some time. And I know there was so much attention and so much happening, and it felt like so much was happening and that things would really be changing soon. I, I'm sure all of you listening yourself have said or heard someone say, oh, by next week or next month, everything's going to be changing. It's it's happening. You know, we felt it. There was just, it felt like so much movement and momentum and, and things were starting to crack. And so we felt that 
You know, I, I heard it from so many people, and, and you don't know who to believe in the truth is. No one knows for sure. So even anything I'm sharing is just some level of my opinion and speculation. But of course, I don't know. Um, but I, I was hopeful when I hear people say, "Oh, I, I talked to some people that are, you know, in Iran," and by next, I think by next month, even they say this weekend, you know, I'd hear stuff like that this weekend, some things are happening that people say, you know, something's going to, big is going to happen. And, you, you know, I was hopeful, I was a little skeptical, but hopeful that that would be the case. And, and it, of course, has not happened. Um, and so I've, I've heard these stories. And I think when, unfortunately, when you hear predictions, and they don't turn out to be true, it can make people lose hope, because then when they hear something good is happening, they are more doubtful, you know, it's kind of like, the boy who cried wolf. So if you say, oh, it's about to happen, it's about to happen, it's about to happen, and it doesn't happen, well, then people wonder if anything is happening at all or if it was supposed to happen, and since it didn't, it means it's not going to happen. Um, so th as I mentioned, this is why I think if we focus too much on the result, it's easy to get discouraged because results tend to come slow or tend to come way after um, the efforts have been made. So this is even when you're doing something personally. Often, let's say you start to to exercise and be, eat better. It doesn't mean you're overnight going to see some changes. Or uh, you want to go back to school and you know get a degree or add to your education. You're going to put in a lot of work before anything changes at all. And that can make it seem like, well, what's the point? I've put in a few months of work and and been really busting my my back to get somewhere and I'm not even I haven't moved nothing's happened and so with these types of social movements even more it's the case that the results lag way behind the actions you know in this book that's what you'd see is that people started let's say discussing marriage equality decades ago and you know it was something maybe even laughed at or it was so looked at as an impossibility that you know nothing seemed to change but those statements, those proclamations, those suggestions start to impact things slowly, chipping away at what is considered at that time the common consensus or understanding, it starts to evolve. And so what was laughable back then is laughable for many people not to exist now. And so we can see how things can significantly change. Uh, I see this sometimes, you know, obviously, uh, comments on social media are, are not a great place to see the best of humanity, but, um, you know, someone will post something of someone um, supporting an anti-racist, you know, message or doing something or, you know, athletes making a statement on the field. And then, I, you know, inevitably you'll see some comments with, you know, heavy sarcasm that, oh, and then racism was ended forever after that. And um, it, it's quite silly and it's just a thing to be snarky and think you're being funny. Um, but I always think it's so um, stupid to think that way, that uh, I'm not going to do an action unless the thing changes completely. Well, then you're almost never going to do anything because unless something is very, very small and not that significant taking an action is not going to make it just completely change. And so if you're waiting to do something that supports, um, you know, decreasing racism, and the only thing you're going to do is if it makes racism go away, well, then you're never going to do anything. You're not going to do a single thing. And so um, that type of mindset that we have that either uh, has to fix the problem or it's useless, this is an extreme version of this focusing on the results, that I have to see the thing change completely. You know, people are, are hungry. Oh, I feed a few people. Does that cure and end hunger? No, but it helps that one person and that's significant. And 
if we're going to help all the people, we have to at times do it one at a time or in smaller scales until we get to that bigger place. So um, this is something I often see, or even I've heard people say, well, I did all this stuff. I posted things. I, you know, read the news. I got sad from the news and I posted more things and nothing's happened. So what's the point? I'm just, you know, I realize I just need to give up. And this is why I wanted to have those conversations and I'm bringing it up again today, inspired by this book of uh, just remembering that these things tend to take a long time. They can seem so close, but they usually are further away than they seem. Um, And especially things like revolutions and these types of big movements, they tend to take a long time and, and the progress isn't linear in this way that you just keep seeing things changing and then next day bigger things change and next things bigger things change. You see, you know, big changes or what looks like big changes and then a crash, the momentum and the energy is there, then it's gone and it comes back. So usually these things um, happen much more slowly and often the things that uh, lead to the lasting change or things that are more invisible or less visible than maybe a, a protest or something violent or something that is very attention grabbing. Uh, it's generally things like economic changes that are happening slowly, but really starting to make a huge impact. And so we often don't see what is happening. Um, but I hope we'll just keep pushing in what we feel is the right direction trusting that over time it'll have an impact, but also more and more not focusing on that result and focusing more on your responsibility. Um, What have I done? What could I have done more? What can I keep doing or do more in the future? That can be our focus, not, well, I'm going to do this, but I better see something happen or, you know, I'll do it for another week, but if I don't see anything change, I'm going to stop. And sometimes we might not think that, but we end up doing that. So, keep doing what you think is right. And of course, there isn't just what's happening in Iran. You might have other um, things that you care about. And the thing that is tough is that when we care a lot about something, let's say um, the situation in Iran is heartbreaking as it is for all of us when we see people suffering and hear another story of either a death or an injury or someone being um, imprisoned, it's heartbreaking. And that's what makes it hard is that the things we care about the most are usually the things we want to do the most about, but then it's kind of this cycle that then when things don't go well, it hurts us the most when we see nothing is changing or that it seems that things are not changing and that makes people burn out. Um, so someone like myself, let's say goes into therapy, caring about people's emotions and helping them in that way, because that's something I think is important and I care about it. But because of that, I get Im- impacted when I see people emotionally suffering or having that. And I have to be aware of that because it can make me then burn out or get too overwhelmed and make me stop helping. And so I have to be mindful of of that process. So we have to be aware that because you care so much about what is going on, it can impact you in ways that make you even more likely to give up because it feels like too much and things aren't changing. So words of encouragement as is always the case when I'm speaking to myself as well, but to any of you out there who does have this feeling of it might be um, worth giving up or hasn't made a difference, I hope you'll continue to do whatever you can, what might seem like small steps, but remember that any big movement was made up of thousands and millions of tiny steps and tiny actions that uh, different people made throughout the process. And all we can do is, is to do that. So 
what is my responsibility? What can I continue to do to help? What can I do to make sure I feel good about what I've done in this process when I look back on it? Even you can look back so far um, when it's these nine, 10 months. What have I done? What do I feel good about? What else could I have done that would have been more to help in this process? Um, it's It's been heartbreaking for me too, seeing the news. And there is this sense of at times what's happening and are things going to still continue? But we can always just say, well, we want to do what feels right to us as far as what we think is the right thing. You'll never regret doing what you think is right in helping other people and helping um, what seems like an injustice be overcome. All right, let's go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So uh, the book today was the book of pride, LGBTQ heroes who change the world. And um, I know people can, throughout history, we've had a hard time dealing with many issues of acceptance. And it's an interesting process because what we see is uh, at different times, it's like, well, should, well, let's say women be treated equally to men? And then it's like, yes. And then now it obviously seems obvious or let's say in the United States, blacks, should they be given voting rights? And it's like, uh, you know, somehow it's a question somehow, but then the answer is yes. And then we see that uh, happening. And so again, throughout history, we see this process where certain groups um, are, you know, there's a question of whether or not they should have the full set of rights. And so reading this book, seeing it for um, the LGBTQ community, and it still continues to this day, especially we're seeing many laws um, against transgender individuals, which has been very uh, concerning because the laws have impacts of, of course, the legal weight of them, but they also have an impact, just like I was saying about the marriage equality and connection to suicide of how people feel about certain individuals. So if a law is um, created that allows or says that a certain group cannot do something, let's say they said Iranians cannot, you know, smoke cigarettes. Because um, sometimes things like this come up where people say, well, is that even a good thing? So let's say there was a law that said Iranians cannot smoke, buy cigarettes. And so some could argue, well, isn't it even unhealthy to buy cigarettes? So maybe that's a good thing. The problem is that when we have any law that makes a certain group not have the same rights as everyone else, this is problematic. This creates a sense of them being second citizens or being less than everyone else, no matter what that thing is. When we uh, isolate a group and say they're not allowed to do something that others have a right to do, it's always a negative thing. So um, even if it wasn't about Iranians, it was about any group, and they said that this group cannot buy cigarettes, I would be strongly opposed to that law, even though I don't think smoking is good for you and I would hope people don't do it, but I wouldn't want there to be a law that excludes a certain group. And so when you hear of laws or things that are being um, shared about members of the LGBTQ community, uh, I can't speak of, of course, every law that is out there being proposed, but I would want us all to think about, is this a law that is in somehow isolating and taking away some rights or not giving certain rights to a certain group of individuals? And that's what many of these laws come down to. And so I hope we can recognize that 
when we talk about being on the wrong side of history or being on the right side of history, historically we see that these things have kept happening, that um, certain groups of individuals were made to uh, be seen as less than or not having full rights, and it was always the wrong thing, and going towards inclusion and um, giving full rights, and whether it's emancipation or giving uh, voting rights or whatever it might be, to these individuals was always a step in the right direction. Now, the uh, psychology and the sociology behind why people have such a hard time with or have given such a hard time to the LGBTQ community is a complex one. I know many, many books and um, have been written on the topic because it is so complex. So I don't think I can give anything, uh, a contribution that's going to be comprehensive or have that type of um, weight to it. But I do want to share some thoughts on that because uh, one of the things that you often see with how people look at the LGBTQ community is this sense of a projection of our own self onto others, which we often do. So what do I mean by that? Um, for example, there have been studies showing that men who are very homophobic and not just homophobic, like afraid, that term I know people don't like, and I can see why it's not about being afraid of gay people. It's about being hateful and not accepting um, gay people. But they, those men who are often having more anger towards homosexuals, homosexual men, can uh, are more likely to have some homosexual attraction within themselves. And they've done studies looking at how they react to, for example, gay porn and seeing this. And so we could see that it's not just a hatred for a, you know, because they dislike them for some, you know, the right reasons, let's say, because they think they're actually bad or do bad things. It's very often the sense of not being able to accept or tolerate something within ourselves. And then so when we see it in others, we attack them and make it all about them, essentially putting that bad part of ourselves onto them and saying, look how much I hate this thing. How could I be that? And sometimes it's unconscious. It's not that people are always aware of this, but this is something that people do and people do it often. So if you find yourself hating some group or not liking some group, we often do this in a way that makes us feel good about ourselves, makes us feel better about ourselves. So even let's say in the Iranian community, we see that um, within Iranians, people will put themselves above others. Well, for example, I'm from uh, the city and they're from the village and the Dahat or something like that. Or I am from this part of Iran and they're from that part of, uh, of Iran. Or uh, we are, you know, mainland or this part of Iran and they're Kurdish and so we're better. Or they're from Turkish part or this part or that part. And so we see uh, we do this and we think it's because we're so good and we're so great. But really the reason why we do that is that we're afraid that we are not good at all or that we are weak. I'm afraid that I am not good or I am not significant, but if I can find someone to put below me, that makes me feel better about myself. So if our group is better than that group, well, we are good and look how bad they are. But what we're really doing is putting that fear of my own smallness or not being good on them and saying, I can look down on you, but I'm afraid I'm the one who is small and not strong. So although when we do this, it does make you feel good. It really does. It's uh, even they do research on this that, for example, they give people like a math test and 
often the results are not accurate. They just know they're going to give them either a good score or a bad score, tell them they did well or tell them they did poorly. And then afterwards, they have them grade other people's essays, and it's made to seem like it's unrelated. But what they find is that people who are given bad feedback are more likely to judge other people's work more negatively. So if you just receive some feedback that makes you feel like you're not very smart or you didn't perform very well, um, that doesn't feel good. And so one way you might cope with that is by trying to make someone else feel bad or bringing them down. So we know there is a almost natural human tendency that we can have towards this unconsciously. So if we become aware of it, we can often recognize it before it's happening or while it's happening and then do something about it. You know, there's a Jungian thought and a lot of people that share that when you find someone or something or some group that irritates you or bothers you, go towards that because in that lies your lesson. There's something for you to learn there. So if you find that you don't like whether it's a certain group of individuals or a certain characteristic, and maybe you've heard someone say, oh, I hate liars. I really hate people that lie. And hopefully no one likes liars. I don't think I've ever heard that before. But the point is that if someone really emphasizes that, or if they realize they're focused on that or preoccupied with that, it could be worth looking at, well, why is that something that's so prominent for me? It is possible they've had some really bad experiences with people that were dishonest that hurt them. So I don't want to say it has to be that it's because they themselves lie or have that part of themselves. But often it can be something about either their own dishonesty or maybe even a desire to be dishonest or things that they've done that then makes them preoccupied with this tendency of other people or seeing it or pointing it out. Um, so if they say, if someone says, oh, I hate people that are cheap. Okay, well, what is that saying about them? It's probably not about the group they're talking about. It's about them. And so we have to think about that too. If we dislike a certain group of individuals or certain people, what is it telling us about us rather than telling us about them? And when we look at the LGBTQ community, um, you know, this word acceptance is in a way, a basic level, but it's actually very important. So I don't want to undermine it, but I say that that acceptance, um, you know, is is the basic. Everyone should be loved and accepted for who they are and been tre be treated with respect. But if we look at acceptance, uh, it could be a itself a range of experiences or a range of acceptance. Because I've worked with many families who, um, as you know, the Iranian community, we we have some work to do when it comes to our love and acceptance of the LGBTQ community in general and even within our own within our own community, within Iranians. I've worked with many families who have um, children or family members who are members of the LGBTQ community and seen a whole range of reactions. Some favorable and some more unfavorable. But what I'm pointing out here is that looking at acceptance, I hope you, you will accept and have love for them, but realizing that you might think you're accepting, but you might not recognize the holes in that acceptance. So let me give you some examples that might illustrate that. So uh, I've worked with families that unfortunately have been very rejecting of finding out members of their family, their ch child, or someone else's uh, of the LGBTQ community. That's very heartbreaking. But then I've seen people that are nowhere accepting of it. We're going to love our, our child as they are, and that sounds really great. But then they might not see that 
their child might not feel a full sense of acceptance because of actions that then they take. A common one I've seen is something like, we fully, let's just say they have a gay son, we fully love and accept you um, as our gay son. We're, that doesn't change anything. We will always love you. However, when their gay son has a partner, has a boyfriend, let's say, um, they'll still say, well, but don't bring them to our house or don't bring them to family gatherings because, well, they might say it in some different ways. One might be, well, you know, we're okay with it, but, you know, your family, they're not going to be able to accept it and we don't want to create some commotion or we say this for your own protection. Or it even could be, have a, just, you know, don't bring them to our house because we, that's hard for us to accept. But I've seen at times within that same family that they might have um, a heterosexual child and if they're in a relationship, no problem with bringing their partner to their home. And so we could see that this acceptance that's said as a blanket statement, which is nice to say, and it, is, uh, it sounds nice, in actuality, there isn't this full sense of accepting that person for who they are fully. Because when you don't accept their love and accept the person they love and want to share with you, as you would with your other child who isn't um, part of the LGBTQ community, then what message are you sending them? You're not giving them the sense that actually we fully love and accept you. And I also know it's easy to just talk about these things and tell anyone, well, just accept and love and that's it. And I would want everyone to move towards that. But I do recognize there are challenges that we face uh, when you've grown up in a culture and a community that has told you so many times, uh, this is wrong, this is bad, this is immoral, even worse things like they're, you know, these people are going to, let's say, do something to you or uh, they're not people you can trust which are all things that we do have heard throughout history and still hear about um, members of the LGBTQ community. And it was talked about in a certain way. I We can understand, of course, that's going to impact you. So uh, my goal is not to blame or shame anyone who holds on to certain beliefs. However, um, recognizing that those beliefs can be harmful for others and yes, it's not your responsibility and not any of our responsibilities what we were exposed to. We cannot control how our family felt and what they said and what our communities felt about certain groups, men, women, a whole range of whatever issues, race, whatever it might be. However, it is our responsibility what we do with it now. Being aware that I have these prejudices, these biases, what am I going to do about it? Because we can change. It can be hard to change. Oftentimes these feelings can be very deep rooted, so they don't change overnight, but people definitely do change. As I said, um, when we look at people who are accepting of gay marriage in the United States, that percentage has changed considerably. And yes, some of it is new people that can now vote, but some of it is still the same people that could vote before that now have changed their minds. So minds do change, hearts do change, and it's the responsibility of each and every one of us to recognize the ways that we are biased against certain people of whatever that group might be and to do something about it. And even in saying that, you know, there is this uh, fear of coming off racist or sexist or anti any group, anti LGBTQ, anti whatever it might be, which is, uh, I think it's good that we're promoting acceptance as I'm trying to do now, but I also want to make sure I'm not contributing to what we also see is this extreme judgment 
and almost uh, part of this cancel culture type of mindset would we look for anyone that might even have an inkling or say something that might not be totally uh, on par with what they should currently be saying now and then attacking them for being sexist or uh, anti-LGBT or racist or whatever it might be. And actually, kind of coming full circle, this is, to me, a similar... um, pattern or similar concept to when we hate a certain group, as I was saying, it's because something might be within us that we are being against them. Um, Similarly, when we are so quick to attack others as racist or, uh, you know, bigoted in some way, it's often because we know we are not perfect in this way either. None of us uh, doesn't have any, you know, bias or anything about any group within our hearts, conscious and unconscious that we carry within us. But because we don't want to acknowledge or accept that, we throw that onto other people. So it is a reminder to be tolerant, of course, of all people, but even tolerant who might disagree, people would disagree with you to give them that space. So that's, that's key to keep in mind. So we have to all recognize we, all of us carry because of being members of society that uh, has been sexist, has been anti-LGBTQ, has been racist and continues to be these things to a degree. Um, we carry within us these thoughts and feelings and unconscious even ideas about certain groups. So because of that, you will have something within you that isn't fully accepting. Me included, of course, all of us do. So we have to try to become aware of those things and then work on them. So what's happened to us, not our responsibility. It's just like your childhood. What your parents did to you is not your responsibility. What you're going to do now with whatever they've given you and whatever has been done to you and whoever you are, that's up to you. And so it's up to each and every one of us to look within our hearts, within our minds, to see what are the blocks, what are the biases and the prejudices that I carry within me, and to work to overcome them by uh, first facing them, embracing them, accepting them, that they're there, and then moving forward to see where they maybe are even coming from. And then also, the more we expose ourselves to and connect with people from whatever that group is, along with other things that we can do to recognize that all people deserve equal rights and all people deserve to be treated as humans, we can slowly overcome whatever those prejudices are within us. Uh, I have reached the end of my time, so let's wrap up here. A big thank you uh, to Ghazaleh here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fahir Lakwi, Zan Zendegi Azati.